0: All right, well, good morning, Harvest. It is, Jordan is absolutely right, it is cold in this room uh, this morning. I hope it's warm wherever you are. And um, listen, we're going to get going in God's Word in just a moment. But um, first of all, let me tell you that just for this message, and I know we have like some kids sermon notes that we normally put out there, but we've kind of adapted them and really made them specific to this message this week because there's kind of some cool graphics that we're doing. And so, parents, if you haven't gone to hvc.info down to the kids section, and you'll find there um, a special button with sermon notes for this week, date it uh, for today. And uh, you're going to see there, just download that, print that, get it into your kids' hands with some crayons or markers, and uh, they'll have a little bit more fun maybe with this sermon as they sit there uh, with you this morning in your home. And uh, that, you know, brings this up. Hey, church, you're there. I'm here, and we are still the church. That's awesome, right? And I said to somebody this week uh, who, you know, not a believer, I said to them this week, the church survives everything. The church survives governments that come and go. The church survives wars. The church survives pestilence when it comes through and pandemics. It survives empires Jesus actually told Peter, and this is in uh, Matthew chapter 16. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I love that. It's, it's, um, it's so reassuring to us. And so when I say to you this morning, good morning, church. We're really saying that there's nothing shaking the foundations of the church today. It's just another gathering of God's people on the road to our final redemption. Amen? You agree with that, I hope? And um, all of that's bonus material. None of that is really the message. Uh, So we're going to turn our attention to Ruth chapter 3, and we're going to talk today about the long and winding road. And uh, thank you, uh, John and Paul, for that uh, title. Uh, Not John and Paul the Apostles, of course, but uh, John and Paul the Beatles. The long and winding road is such an apt uh, description of life, especially when facing hardship and trials. And our current situation certainly qualifies at a level that you and I couldn't have imagined when this new year dawned. It just seems like at the starting of every year, we kind of say, We don't know what this year is going to hold, but our Uh, faith is in Christ and we're trusting in him and whatever comes. And I feel like I said that again at the start of uh, this new year. And here we are in the midst of something right at the end of March here. And we're in the midst of something. There's no possible way anyone could have imagined that just three months into the year, this is where uh, we would be at. And so we're going to look at, as we think about this situation that we're in, in terms of this road to redemption and what God has for us in all of this. We're going to look at some signposts along the road to redemption because, listen, our greatest need, this is what we need to talk about, our greatest need is this journey, is completing this journey, getting to the end of the road to redemption and being 100% redeemed in Jesus Christ. That is our number one greatest need. Our greatest need is not And this is going to be surprising, but our greatest need is not that we would be protected from coronavirus or any other virus or any other disease. That is not our greatest need. Our greatest need is not that the supply chain would be maintained and food would be stocked in our grocery stores and we would have access to uh, plenty of food to eat. Our greatest need is not that the stock stock market would rebound and that our retirement uh, monies would be replenished our greatest need is not that social distancing would end and that we would finally be able to shake a hand or give a person a hug again our greatest need has nothing to do with any aspect of life here on earth or to our mortal existence our greatest need is to be redeemed. Our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven. Our greatest need is to have Jesus Christ in our lives as our Lord and as our Savior. And to hear His voice, to follow Him, and to rest in Him. And I hope that having said all of that, there's an amen or two that's being uttered in in living rooms, in family rooms, in kitchens, all across our church family. And so we're going to look at the book of Ruth, chapter 3. Hopefully you're up to date on the Ruth story. We're picking this up now as the harvest is coming in and Ruth has received the kindness of Boaz. She's a, uh, he's a relative of Naomi's who is in fact in a position to help, truly help them, be lifted out of their desperate situation, their their poverty, and to redeem them. Naomi and Ruth are on this road to redemption. And Boaz appears as a character to help them achieve that redemption. And so let's turn our attention to the Scriptures. Hopefully you have your Bibles open and uh, you can follow along as I read Ruth chapter 3. I'm going to pray and then we're going to start working through this chapter. Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. "'At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, "'and behold, a woman laid his feet. "'And he said, "'Who are you?' "'And she answered, "'I am Ruth, your servant. "'Spread your wings over your servant, "'for you are a redeemer.' "'And he said, "'May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. "'You have made this last kindness greater than the first, "'in that you have not gone after young men, "'whether poor or rich. "'And now, my daughter, do not fear.' I will do for you all that you ask, for you all, uh, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, uh, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, uh, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare my daughter? Then she told her all the man had done for her saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's pray together. Father, we are again uh, grateful that you have made it possible for us to meet in this way, to be together as a church, to welcome in guests and friends as well to our worship gathering. Father, to get your word open and to hear what you have for us today. We pray so often, Father, and it's so true that your word is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And God, I pray that your word would do all of that in each of our lives today, that we would receive a strong word from you, that we would come away Um, built up and encouraged and and more knowledgeable than we were before and and compelled in our spirit to live out the very things that we're reading and understanding today. So God bless this time for your own purposes in our lives and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, on the road to redemption, you have your uh, notes there. Take a look at them now. On the road to redemption, please understand, first of all, that there is but one way. Naomi and Ruth were really, they were out of options. You see the one way sign there. They were out of options. There was only one way for them. They were two widows living in poverty. They had no claim to any of Elimelech's, Naomi's ex, her husband, her her deceased husband. No way to access any of his wealth or to perpetuate his name. The events of chapter 2, though, they gave them some hope. And back in verse 20 of chapter 2, Naomi said that Boaz, in fact, is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And that's such a critical word. I mentioned that last week, and I said we'd unpack that a little bit more this week. That word redeemer, in fact, in the Hebrew, in the original language, is the Hebrew word goel. And it means to play the part of a kinsman or Other nuances of the word mean avenger and advocate and deliverer and redeemer. And it's best to actually, from a theological standpoint, to put those two concepts together and to say that the Goel is the kinsman redeemer, a very specialized role in Old Testament law. And in fact, if you want to mark down Leviticus 25... Uh, because that's where this is explained. And really, uh, this is from the teacher's commentary. A near relative had the right and even moral obligation to act on behalf of a family member in trouble or in danger. And when persons or possessions were in in the grip of a hostile power, the kinsman might act to redeem, to win release, or to win freedom. And so the provision provided a way for Naomi and Ruth to be lifted out of their poverty... And for Elimelech's name to live on since he had no surviving sons. And so that's why Naomi sets all of this up with Ruth and tells her in verse 1, should I not seek rest for you? Shouldn't I seek a better way of life for you? That it may be well with you, she says. "I, I just want you to be healthy and happy and provided for. And in a good place, I want good things for you. I don't want you to live in poverty And then she asks rhetorically in verse 2 because she had met Boaz. She'd been out in the field gleaning. Verse 2, is not Boaz, the guy you met, is not Boaz, our relative? And the answer is, yeah, he is. And she's thinking, Naomi's thinking Leviticus 25 here. She's thinking Goel. She's thinking kinsman redeemer. See, verse 2 continues, see He's working tonight at the threshing floor. Verse 3, wash yourself, she says to, to Ruth. Go wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on a cloak. Another, she's saying to her, wash your hair. Okay, put some makeup on, pick out your nicest dress. Go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. Not, not the sense here that he was getting, Boaz was such a noble man. There's no sense here that he was going to be drinking too much and drunk. Just that at the end of the day, after a long day of work, he just wanted to have that meal, unwind a little bit, and just be in a more relaxed state. Make sure he's ready to hear this from you. And then it goes on here, verse four. And then it gets like, from our perspective, we read this, and this just sounds really culturally weird. Verse four, when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. So this was going to be a means by which Ruth would be expressing her intention to Boaz. I mean, I think most people today are you know, finding each other online or something. Uh, but back in the day before you could do that, I guess, you just would go and uncover the feet and just kind of lie there. And, and Naomi is taking a risk here. There's a, there's a gamble that she's making because it's awfully forward of Ruth to actually do what she's doing, which is essentially to be proposing marriage, Ruth proposing marriage to Boaz, And one commentator, uh, Daniel Block, points out, you know, kind of just paraphrasing what he said, this is really forward and a gamble because Ruth is quite a bit younger, obviously, than Boaz. She's Moabite. He's Jewish. There were rules against that. She's impoverished. He's wealthy. She's a she. He's a he. And she's didn't usually ask he's to get married, except in my case, of course, Cheryl. Well, Cheryl didn't really ask me to get married. But the exact quote is, I want the ring and I want it now. But we can take that up another time. And so, for all of these reasons, this isn't the kind of thing that you actually do. Beyond that, what she's doing almost certainly could be interpreted in a very bad way. All of the commentators agree that what Ruth is doing here is like kind of the way that sex workers would work out in the field toward the laborers. And if Boaz was to wake up and interpret her actions as anything other than noble, then the gig is going to be up. But Naomi is so confident. In verse 4, she tells Ruth, he will tell you what to do. She's so sure that this is going to work largely because of the reputation of Boaz as such a noble, honorable man and the fact that Ruth... has gained her own reputation as a noble woman. And so Naomi takes the risk. And why does she do that? Because, we come back to the the main point here, there is but one way. She doesn't see any other way out of her poverty. She needed a goel. She needed a kinsman redeemer. And so this story is about being freed from the slavery of poverty and namelessness. It's about restoring what was lost, a family's wealth and lineage. But as you might suspect, because it's in the word of God here, we ask the question, why is this story in the Bible? Well, it's because the story points to the ultimate redeemer. The story points to Jesus Christ and his work of redemption to lift us from our own spiritual poverty and our own slavery to sin. And Boaz in the story is actually what theologians call a type A type of Christ. In other words, he prefigures the coming Savior and he points to the greater redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. And there is but one way for us to be spiritually redeemed today, to be saved. This is not, and we do not preach a message that all paths lead to God. And I know that when we say that, especially in our culture today, all paths lead to God, that that is, uh, is, is um, designed to make religion palatable to people who don't know what to do with it. It's designed to help people feel comfortable with the notion of God. It, it, it allows the maximum number of people to believe in God and to feel good about the way they live their lives. It preserves the the tolerant society that we live in. It it preserves the live and let live mantra that defines our culture. But it isn't what we preach. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and we know that Christ himself is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense in this world. And Jesus Christ himself said, and this is in John chapter 14, verse 7, he said, I am the way I am the truth, I am the life. Those are all definite articles. He didn't say, I'm a way, I'm one of many ways to God. He didn't say, I am a truth among many truths. He didn't say, I'm a way that you can live and have life. He said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. The apostles took that from John 14, and knew his words. And when they started preaching in the early days of the church, they said, this is Acts 4.24, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name put whatever other religious system or means by which people that think that they can achieve salvation and we're just telling you by the words of jesus by the words of the apostle there's no other name there's only jesus and if you don't have jesus as your kinsman As your avenger, as your advocate, as your deliverer, as your protector, as your redeemer. If you don't have Jesus in all of those ways, then you are still enslaved and impoverished. And you need to enter upon the road to redemption. Well, let's look at this next. On the road to redemption, there is but one way, and I must drive slowly I must drive slowly and watch for instructions. Okay, here's the second road sign. This is a construction road sign. And, you know, when you come upon these construction zones, very often it lasts for a short uh, while. But at one end and at the other, they have these flagmen uh, who are there and who have those stop signs and, and, and yield signs. And listen, they're they're to show us when it's okay, when it's safe to go. And we ignore those workers at our own peril as we enter the construction zone. So many bad things can happen if we don't follow the instructions of the person with the sign. Now notice verse 6, Ruth went down to the threshing floor and, this is so important, did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And what Naomi had commanded her, what she had told her, okay, was the Bible. It was Leviticus 25, They had a challenge. They they looked to the Word of God. Naomi looked to the Word of God to solve that challenge. And verse 7 tells us that Ruth did exactly what Naomi had told her to do. She actually did it, which is what she had actually pledged to do. If you look at verse 5, all that you say I will do. And I love the simplicity of that. I love the simplicity of I have a problem. I go to the Word of God. I say that I'm going to do it, and then I do it. In fact, if you're uh, taking notes right now, just write down these four very short phrases. Write this down. Read the word, understand the word, believe the word, do the word. Okay? Hopefully you got that. Read the word, understand the word, believe the word, do the word. If we would just get all of that going in the right order and do that every single time, I mean, that's just going to put us in such a great place. And you understand, too, why all four of those are so important. I mean, we can read the Word without understanding the Word. We can understand the Word. Often we understand the Word, but we don't actually believe it. And we can believe the Word. I have read it. I understand it. I believe what it says but I'm still not going to do it. That's why all four of these are so critical to us. And in a time of incredible uncertainty, isn't it true that you and I are looking for, and I love this phrase, it's from the King James Version, we're looking for a more sure word. We're looking for a more sure word. I mean, like so many of you, I'm, I'm reading news throughout the day, and I'm finding it overwhelming right now. And, and I'm looking for a more sure word than what the Toronto Star or National Post published. I'm, I'm looking for a more sure word. As much as I appreciate what our leaders are doing right now, our prime minister, our premier, our mayor what the chief medical officers of health are saying to us, as much as I trust all of that and I appreciate their leadership, I'm looking for a more sure word than what our government and agencies are telling us. I'm definitely looking for a more sure word than what social media is telling me. I'm looking for a more sure word than what one expert, one doctor says versus what another says. I'm looking for a more sure word. Well, that phrase comes from, again, I said that was the King James version, but it comes from 2 Peter one nineteen, And here it is in the ESV, 2 Peter one nineteen, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. That's the phrase, a more sure word, more fully confirmed. Okay, more fully confirmed to which you will do well. I love this which you would do well to pay attention to. Pay attention to the word of God as it speaks to us. As to a lamp shining in a dark place. That's today. We, we are in a dark place. Until the day dawns. I'm looking forward to the day dawning. I'm looking forward to being able to just go to the grocery store and hang out with friends and be back to work and have us all back in this room worshiping together. I want to be back there. I want that day to dawn. And the morning star rises in your hearts. Doesn't that just communicate this incredible hope that we would have? And listen, this book is the way to that hope, even if none of those other things ever happens again. Because God's pointing us to the end, the very end of that road to redemption. We have no better counsel. God has given us his word, relevant at all times to what we're facing. And, and literally, this is the roadmap, the roadmap for the road to redemption. So get into the Bible more than you ever have right now. And with so many of us on COVID-19 lockdown, we can't just watch Netflix and, and Amazon Prime. We can't just watch TV and movies. Get into the Word of God more than you ever have. Because I'm thinking you, for most of us, we have more opportunity than ever to be in this book. And why wouldn't we be? Its words are precious to us. Its words are life to us. They're the lamp shining in a dark place. All right, you can see the phrase that we're building here in the notes. On the road to redemption, there is but one way. I must drive slowly, watch for instructions, and with no stopping once I get going. No, you see that sign? No stopping. No stopping once I get going. So, so Ruth is in for the plan, obviously. She's, she's uncovered his feet. She's laying down. That's weird, but it's what they did. He wakes up, verse 8 says, at midnight. He's startled, of course, and notices a woman at his feet. Naturally, verse 9, he said, because we would all do the same thing. Um, um, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. And then she pulls out, okay, this might be a little crass, but she pulls out this pickup line. And it comes from something that he had said to her in the previous chapter in verse 12, 2, 12. You know, he talked about her coming under the wings of Yahweh and being protected by Yahweh and seeking his refuge. So he had said that to her the previous day. And, And so she says to him, spread your wings over your servant Spread your wings over your servant, Boaz. Spread your wings over me, for you are a redeemer. Would you protect us? Would you defend us? Would you be our advocate? Now his response, he totally gets it. No misunderstanding Ruth's intentions at all. He gets it right out of the gate. Verse 10 May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first in that you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And he's saying, I don't know what you see in me. I'm like an older guy. I don't know what you see in me. And then verse 11, he he quells her fear because she might've been trembling a bit at doing this whole thing. But he says, I will do for you all that you ask because you are a worthy woman. See, this whole thing rests on the fact that Boaz and Ruth, Both loved Yahweh so much. And they could count on one another to act nobly through the whole situation. Now, the fact that Boaz said what he said, it just kind of of makes me think that Boaz has already been thinking about all of this. Maybe he's actually been thinking about Ruth. Maybe he already set this all up in his own mind and in some of his previous actions. Maybe... His kindness toward her the previous day was the thing that that, that kind of got Naomi thinking about it. That maybe Naomi would pick up the clues that Boaz was laying down for her. Because he says here all of this as if he's been thinking about it. He says in verse 12, in fact, and this isn't the kind of thing that you just kind of have off the top of your mind. but, But verse 12, he says, it's true that I'm a redeemer, Yet, there's a redeemer nearer than I. There's a closer family member. Now listen, you don't have that information readily available unless you've already been thinking about the fact that you could act as redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. Now, the fact that he introduces this here adds some dramatic tension to the story. This is where, you know, the story's going along just so nicely. And then there's this setback that comes. And if it was a Hallmark movie, this is where the ex-boyfriend appears. Okay, Or, or if you're more into HG television, this is like you're watching Fixer Upper or Love It or List It. And, and they're renovating the house and they, you know, they want that open concept, of course. They want to take that wall out between the kitchen and, and the dining room and the living room. They want to have the open concept. And then just before they go to commercial break, of course, they find out, oh, no, it's a supporting wall. And, and you cut to commercial and all the tension is there. When they come back from commercial, they solve the problem with a beam. Okay, that's what's going on here. Boaz has a plan, of course. He's, he's got, you know, he wants open concept, but he's got the beam in mind. He's been thinking this all through, and from the moment he saw her in the field, from the moment he asked what her name was, from the moment he invited her to dinner and made sure that she could glean so much extra barley, from the moment that he did all of these things, he set it all up. He was thinking about Ruth. And so anyways, he says to her, verse 13, "'Remain tonight, and in the morning we'll see how this all plays out.'" Verse 14, "'So she stayed till morning. "'Then she left before anyone was the wiser.'" just not to raise any suspicions. And he sent her off with more, verse 15, he sends her off with more barley because nothing says I love you like a big bag of barley. So Ruth put her foot on the gas. She keeps going. No stopping once I get going. That's that's wonderful for us in our Christian life. No stopping once I get going. Then I know, I know. I know that having doubts about God And questioning him about tragedies. I know that's all very natural for us as human beings. I know that our faith can be weak at times. I know that we can struggle to trust him. I know all of that because I've been through all of that. But if you have given your life to follow him, then follow him. Follow him. It's not always going to be at a great pace. You're not always going to feel like you're keeping up with the Lord. You know, if you need to stumble along, stumble along. If you need to crawl along the way, crawl along the way. If you need to just grab his cloak and have him drag you for a season, let him drag you. If you need other believers to carry you, let them carry you when it gets tough. But whatever you do, don't stop. Once you get going, there's, there's no stopping. Make That, your determination, just as it was Ruth's determination. I mean, the way we're having to do church right now, it could be so tempting just to set it all aside, not to log into a live stream, not to make the effort, not to connect with your small group, not to reach out to others, just to cocoon and to close it all off and, 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 and just make it harder on yourself. But the church is a body. And to not be able to gather makes it challenging. But this is no time for us to stop. This is no time for us to wallow in our insecurities and our fears. Now we must dig deeper. We must try harder. We must do everything we can possibly do to maintain the community, the koinonia, the fellowship, the sharing that we have in the body of Christ. Listen, folks, there's no stopping once we get going. Here's the last part of this. On the road to redemption, there is but one way. I must drive slowly and watch for instructions, with no stopping once I get going, because it is often a long and winding road ahead. Now you've no doubt heard the phrase; pretty common. Got that winding road ahead of us? There's the sign: the winding road ahead of us. And and. You've no doubt heard that the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. And that's true. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Jesus actually said this, Matthew twenty-four, thirteen. The one who endures, speaking of Christians now, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so endurance or perseverance or stick to or steadfastness, however you want to say that, that is this defining characteristic of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The one who endures to the end will be saved. The marathon is an endurance race. And if you have endurance, then you're going to be there at the end. And if you don't have endurance and you're not persevering in your faith, then you won't be there. And I'm just not making that up. Those are the words of Jesus in Matthew twenty-four, thirteen. And, and we and we sit here in the midst of this trial or whatever other trial you're going through right now, and those trials all piling on top of each other. This is just like in our lives when we sit back and we say, you know, things aren't coming together the way I had hoped they would. Life life isn't playing out the way I wanted it to. Life is harder than what I imagined. Relief is not coming as expected at a certain age. Life was difficult in this decade. I think it's going to get better in that decade, and it doesn't. It's just different. Producing its own unique challenges. It's a long and winding road. And it requires a persevering spirit to stick to it. So Ruth heads back to Naomi, verse 16. And and when she got there, Naomi asked her, How'd it go? And she told her everything about what had gone on that night. Verse 17 saying, look at all the barley he gave to me because nothing says I love you like barley. And then Naomi said, now we, verse 18, now we wait. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm not great at waiting. So, you know, what we're going through right now, not my best thing. Wait, she says, to see how it all turns out. And then she says, rather hopefully, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter, she says, today. And they're really hoping that he settles it today. But of course, there's still this matter of this nearer relative, and maybe he's going to intervene and do this whole thing. And so it just hangs there. Wait. Let's see how this all turns out. There's no resolution at this point in the story. All we have is loose ends. All we have is the tension still hanging there. Boaz is willing, but there's still this other potential redeemer. We know nothing about him. Is he as kind and generous as Boaz is? Is he a man of integrity and, and, and nobility like Boaz is? Will Naomi and Ruth be freed from their poverty? We don't know. Will their land be redeemed? We don't know. Will Elimelech's name be preserved? And the family line continued. So many questions, so few answers. I feel again like that defines the days that we're in. So many questions and so few answers. And here we wait. Naomi said it. Let's wait. Let's see how this turns out. A pandemic in front of us continues to take lives. We're not sure if we have flattened the curve or not. We don't know if a surge will overwhelm our hospitals. We don't know. We don't know, in fact... We've been somewhat insulated from all of this, and the numbers have been relatively small to our population, but we don't know what this is going to look like in the coming days and weeks. We don't know if people we know and love will lose their lives. We don't know. Our world has shrunk down to our own living rooms, We've limited all of our activities. We've cut off so much of what it means to be human. We've assaulted our mental health through all of this. We've compromised the economies of the world and the economies of our own homes. And Naomi says to us, wait, let's see how it turns out. As we slowly travel this long and winding road, Absolutely unable to see what's around the next corner. That's why they put those signs on the road. You can't see what's coming. So be careful. In our case, we trust the one. Who has the absolute power to redeem us and to bring us. And this is so critical to bring us. To the end of that road. To full redemption. In Jesus Christ.